Thank you everybody for tuning in to This Is Life. It's your host, your boy, Brandon Harrison, and we are in the middle of our Black Perspective series. And this podcast, This Is Life, is a faith-based encouragement podcast to help you navigate through life. And we're all just trying to figure that out right now too. We're all trying to navigate. So collective knowledge and perspectives helps a lot. And that's what the point of this is, is to share the diversity and the complexity of the Black experience and perspective of people, mainly in San Diego, but people from all over the country just to hear how we're all making it through and how we've made it to where we are. And today I have the honor and the privilege of talking to Ms. Yvette Williams. And she is somebody who inspired me through her art in acting and singing. I just seen so much of her, probably maybe the last eight or nine years. We've seen you in San Diego just doing your thing and doing it well. And it's just amazing to me to see all that you've accomplished. I'm sure I don't even know more than half of I'm sure, but I just can't wait to hear you share and encourage people of, how did you get to where you are at now? What is your story? And then we'll go into a little more detail after that. So you can introduce yourself and just share, what's your story you did? So a little bit about me. Um, I originally born and raised in Chicago. And um, so my, my initial experience, I, I think I want to start at when my family moved us from the inner city of Chicago to the western suburb of Chicago, Bellwood, Illinois. And I remember very distinctly as I was thinking about the different questions um, that we might potentially um, be discussing today and, and that you might be asking. I, I'm going back to about third or fourth grade um, in Bellwood and the teacher is asking, you know, what do we want to be? And the I don't even remember what I said I wanted to be at this time wow. because of what she said to me. She pretty much said to me, well, you should aspire for that. You should just try to be a secretary. Oh. Um, and I was the only African-American, you know, it was my, myself and one other African-American in the class. And I sat next to a real Caucasian guy who was a bully. I, I really do believe he, I don't know if his family was, you know, wearing the swastikas or white supremacy. A family or not, but I was I was afraid of him and did get a little bit of bullying from him. So I was um, especially especially being new to the school was a bit intimidated by him, especially because he was so tall and the the way he wore his clothes, like he would wear this long um, like a military green jacket, you know, very militant, freaky wow. kind of dude. And uh, I just remember the teacher telling me not to aspire to be so high. I should just try to be a secretary. And um, that was a blow. Yeah. It's sad because I really don't like, well, Jesus, what did I say back then I wanted to be? Because that negative word stuck so that it has eclipsed whatever it was I thought I wanted to be. Yeah, but as I matriculated through school, I finished high school, started college, and then dropped out, you know, family drama. I was like, eh, I'll just start working, mm -hmm. and this way I'll, I'll be able to take care of my own self. self. And, um, and so I went right into corporate America, and I remember my first job at a temp, uh, was at a temp agency. And um, the young lady I was working with um, was very, she was an African-American woman too. She was very beat down in life. And here I am coming in just bright eyed, you know, not afraid of anything. Yeah, let's just do this. 
learned very quickly um, why she was that way. We were in a male-dominated uh, office, and there was a lot of chauvinism. Right. Pretty much, they wanted us to get the coffee and not have much of a brain, just kind of, you know. And I was kind of cute back then, so, you know, I kind of got a little more preferential treatment than she did. Um, but so you, you take, again, a Caucasian teacher telling you, don't aspire to that, be a secretary. So my first position is as a secretary, administrative assistant, and um, in an accounting firm. So I did some admin, but accounting stuff as well. And so there began my journey. I would leave that job and end up at, at the time was called Care, which later ended up after being uh, buying out Rush Prudential, became Rush Prudential and eventually Unicare well, WellPoint. I started as the administrative assistant to um, the manager of the provider relations department, but I had my eyes set on another position. I'm like, well, I want to learn how to do physician credentialing. And so I started volunteering to get involved. Wow. And volunteering to get involved gave me the opportunity to get in that position. And so I said, hey, I think I want to do um, provider relations. And um, that took some time for me to get there. But what I found was that, again, I'm the only African-American there. So it wasn't just given to me. I really had to fight and scrap for it. And when I say that, I don't mean it, you know, like physically, right. but I had to mentally fight against unseen forces that were there right saying you're relegated to being a, an administrative assistant yep. and we'll let you go as far as we want you to go Man. but something on the inside of me knew i had to do it better than my counterpart they could do 50 percent, but i knew i had to do 110 percent to get right um just for doing my job being mm -hmm. You know, not necessarily exceeding, although I was, it was just you meet the expectations. And so I eventually got into the provider relations department. And that's when I really started to see only African-American in this department um, and dominated by women. Hmm. Well, today, you'll see predominantly in the healthcare administrative side, of, of the business, it's predominantly women that, that, that work. Interesting. Position, yeah. So we had, oh shoot, I forgot to turn off my phone. No problem, I can edit. Okay, perfect. And so um, I was going for this position, I still remember this guy, Joe, that came in. And he was in cahoots with everybody, jockeying for the position, oh. thinking, gosh, I've been here much longer than him. And I could see what was starting to happen and God gave me a strategy. I should say the Holy Spirit. He had me to get, um, I wanna say it's First Chronicles 2911. And I still to this day remember it. And I began to confess this, for thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth are thine, O Lord. Thine is the kingdom and yours it is to be exalted as head over all. In your hands are power and might. In your hands it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, my God, I thank you and I praise your glorious name and those attributes which the, which your name denote. That became my... Man, preaching. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, it became my daily, you know, confession. Wow. And then I got 
the idea, I'm getting some anointing oil and I'm going into the office early and I'm just gonna, and I'm gonna go and just walk into the offices and lay hands on the uh, on the chairs of the people that were gonna make the decision. That's awesome. Do you know the woman that did not want to give me the job that wanted to give it to Joe got fired? <laughs> oh man. The manager th that took over her position promoted me to the provider relations consultant position and made Joe my assistant. Oh, that's all God. So now, right, so now you've got this African-American girl and her assistant is this Caucasian guy and he is, he is living. And oh. it did, I, I never, um, I, I, I was never one of those women that it was like nanny, nanny, nanny. Yeah. I just, it just wasn't me. I didn't know how to, and I still don't know how to hold a grudge. Um, I'm just naturally, I like to forgive and move on because I'm not going to let being nasty age me before my time and That's to right. bitterness and wrath and strife and all these other evil work, works to um, take root. And so I, I, I was one of the top provider relations consultants for the position. There were tough providers that people were scared. Some of the male and female that had been doing the position much longer were afraid of certain providers and I put my hand up, I'll take them, I wasn't afraid. And they, I would come back from the meeting and say, oh, well, how did it go? I'm like, oh, he was like a pussycat. <laughs> and so this particular guy had taken about $200,000 um, that he didn't, uh, that he wasn't supposed to because of a glitch in the system. Wow. It's like, let's go after him. And that's when my, um, I, my supervisor at the time told me that I would have to learn to choose my battles wisely. Mm. Because there are some battles that I would, as much as I might be right, there were certain things that the powers that be were just not going to fight, and that was one of them. Um, and it wasn't until some time later that uh, the associate um, manager came to me and said, you have a lot of foresight. And I said, well, okay, what, 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 why are you saying that? And she began to talk to me about things I had said and had given them warning about decisions that they were going to make and what the fallout would be. And then the fallout was happening when she was telling me that I had foresight. And it was like, if we had listened to you, uh -huh. would have, we would not have fallen into what we've fallen into. And um, I just recently realized that foresight is, is an element of the prophetic. Yes. So there was this prophetic edge that I also had um, coming up working all Caucasian people. I remember walking in, um, to the, uh, all of the associate managers were walking in and I said, Mike, Mike Vavoda was his, mm -hmm. and I said, Mike, I said, I had the wildest dream about you last night. I said, I dream, and I'm saying this in front of everybody. I had this dream that you asked me to come and help you pack your office because you were leaving the company. I'm just this green behind the ears and just this dead silence <laughs> hit. Everybody stopped and they're looking at each other. He's like, I told no one. And my eyes got big. I'm like, what do you mean told no one what? He said, I just announced in the meeting to all the associate managers that today is my last day. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. So now you've got these associate managers and other managers that are, that are like, if you if you dream anything about me, will you please tell me? Right, right. You know, so, you know, in my experience, I've always been in the healthcare industry for the most part and spent a lot of time, I would save up my vacation time 
to travel with the Tommies, Reverend Milton Bronson and the Thompson Community Singers. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, between corporate America, I honestly, Parada Relations was my favorite position. I would love to get back into that kind of work. Um, that and uh, singing was my thing. And then I would eventually meet who you you all know as Tone, it's my mm -hmm. ex husband, and we got married. And then I, I here I am in San Diego. Um, running the business as his um, office manager, of course, starting out as wifey. Uh, and then I ran the business side, negotiated all the contracts, made sure everything was looked after. And uh, after we were divorced, I went into um, working with the go federal government uh, funding a grant program. Wow. It was a lot of fun. So I got to really be involved with uh, community-based organizations, talking to parents, and um, adults that um, work with children, uh, getting them to abstain from sex, drugs, alcohol, and other risky behaviors so that they can pursue their dreams. And this is specifically targeting the African-American community. So, um, you know, from there into back into hospice, uh, healthcare, doing hospice for almost eight years. And then, um, yeah, here I am. Wow. Doing the plays with Tamara. Yeah fun doing that. Um, I used to tell people I'm a great actor. I love to act up. And so, <laughs> being able to be on stage and taking on the life of a, a different character, it's just really exciting. And it's just a part of the creative person that God created me to be. So you got corporate and you've also got the creative when it comes to me. Right. I, like I said to me, I had no idea. I thought yeah. I knew that's an incredible journey. Yeah. And yeah. I was also, I, I was born and raised in Evanston, Illinois and lived 13 years out there in, in San Diego uh -huh. for now, 19 years. And that's, that's an incredible journey. Like I said, coming from Midwest out here, so yeah. many differences in mm -hmm. church and corporate and yep. all the different things. So um, with that incredible journey that you just shared, you can take this wherever you want, but what has been your high point, whether it's career, ministry, personal, and what have you learned from that season? And then what has been one of your low points in ministry and life and careers? And what you learned from that? Um, probably my highest point, even though it was a negative at the time, was realizing that I had the power to achieve whatever I wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, wanted to get into the whole provider relations aspect. Um, I had no idea what it was about. I just found it interesting. And I knew part of it was understanding uh, contractual language. So because I had access to the uh, file room, I would go in, grab a contract, scan a copy, and study. And so I learned wow. this day, if you put a contract in front of me, I can understand the language, the heretofores, and the appendix, this, and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that's just the excitement of being able to learn on my own what was being denied to me when I asked for the mentorship was probably one of my greatest things, although it had a negative beginning. And so to this day, I still, I take all of that and I apply it to who I am as an individual when it comes to speaking into the lives of others. So I think aside from that, my biggest thing is loving on people, 
not, you know, someone said to me the other day, hurt people hurt people. And I'm like, I, I don't find that in the Bible. Right, right. And so I don't believe that. I have been hurt a lot throughout my life. My life has not been an easy life. But I decided just because you hurt me does not mean I'm going to hurt you back because the Bible says vengeance is God says vengeance is His and He will repay. I, I would take every hurt and mistreatment, and I'm still that way today. And I said, Lord, the very thing that I was denied when I see someone that needs it or is missing it, I'm going to give it to them. For what is denied to me and I'm still that way today and I think that's one of my greatest attributes is that I'm able to take pain and to turn it around and use it for power and to help empower others <laughs> that's, that's powerful that really is <laughs> and like you said since you have taken your pain and made it power and purpose and everything that you've done for it like what has been some of those low points too like I said whether it's ministry or racism, yeah. anything that you experienced, yeah. like, what'd you learn from, from those low points? You know, I think I want to, since we're talking about the whole racism thing, mm-hmm. I'm going to tie a little bit of, in about, you know, leaving the church that I was at. Um, I think for me in ministry, you know, you have your highest highs. For me as a worship leader, I was one of the main worship leaders for the church that I used to go to. And so it was one of my greatest highs was not that I was on the platform um, because being on the platform has never been my acme in life. Mm. But God created me for the platform. So I never had to lust it for it because lust for it because I knew it's what he designed me for. That's good. My greatest highs were when I would step on the platform and I would be leading worship and I would tap into flow and I would speak out of my mouth something I've not been aware I was going to say and I'm keenly aware that it's the Holy Spirit and internally I'm like wow, on the inside saying Holy Spirit you really know how to make me look good in front of people but I will not take credit for this I will always give the glory back to you and I would consistently say that to my worship team um, for several years I was the training manager for the campus that um, I served at. I was very adamant about the lifestyle that we live is the determining factor of the outcome of every service. If it falls flat, we need to check ourselves. How have we lived Monday through Saturday that is now manifesting on Sundays? And so really talking about the lifestyle that it's not about your talent, but it's about your surrender. You know, the Bible says, present your body as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. So he's not asking of us anything that's unreasonable. And even if he did, he's given us the Holy Spirit who empowers us to do it. So he's no excuse. And so it's like taking that and knowing that it's my body on the platform, but his life ministering through me. Wow. Exactly how I have lived my life. most adamantly the last eight years. It's been such a, const- a personal constitution that I've lived strictly by that. And so taking that into uh, consideration, I know that God has given me this platform. And so over the last five years with the increasing uh, cases of black men and women too being murdered, mm-hmm. the hands of police officers, I began to be very vocal about it. Because I'm like, I have a platform, which means I have influence. You do, yeah. 
that are looking at me wanting to know how does Yvette feel about this? And I dare not be afraid of losing reputation or brownie points with people and the powers that be for not speaking out. So I've been very adamant about speaking out about injustice. And so with the killing of uh, George Floyd, that one hit a little different. Right. And I'm like, Lord, this hurt a little different. And I clearly heard the Holy Spirit say this was the tipping point. This was right. I know I did. (laughs) I know I did. And so um, I had a couple of meetings um, with leaders and, you know, there was admission that there was racism in the church. And I'm like, this is, man, we're going in the right direction. Thank you, Jesus. And I get to be part of it. And then a few weeks later, um, there were some comments made by the top leadership that systemic racism doesn't exist. And of course that blew my wig back. And that day I didn't even have my wig on. You know what I mean? (laughs) Jesus, no, wait a minute, hold on. And so I said, what do I do, Holy Spirit? I knew I had the answer. I knew it was that I would need to step down off the platform. And, I just began to ask the Holy Spirit, what do I do and how do I say it? And so, do you know, on Juneteenth, the Holy Spirit gave me a complete download. This is what you say, and this is what you send to leadership. I thought, nobody but you would do that. And this is premeditated. I'm just praying and asking the Lord, what do I do? Because what I wanted to do was to be honoring of leadership. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. Right. He, nor does he bring about division in his house. And so I knew for me to continue to be on the platform and to speak out and say race, systemic racism does exist, it would bring division in this man and woman's church. Right. So I said, Lord, I will not do that because I first represent you, Correct. myself, then my African-American family, and then this church in that order. Correct. So, um... I just said, I'm not going to do it. I, I, I will always honor you you all as the leaders, but I'm going to step off the platform and, you know, terminate my membership because I know that the Lord would have me to fight for my African-American family. And um, that Saturday, as I was cleaning up my kitchen and just, I wasn't really thinking about it, but I heard my soul say, you fought for their family when their family was struggling. You pressed in and warred for them to take ground and to have these buildings. But when it was time for them to fight for your family, the African-American family, they refused to fight. And I stopped everything I was doing and I went and I got my journal. And I had to let my soul know I was hearing him talking, so I wrote, wrote it down. And then I sat there and I wanted to feel what I wrote down, but I actually felt nothing. Wow. I, I, it was just like this, it wasn't a void, it was just a peace. And so I said, well, Lord, for everything I've sown for the last 15 years, you are not unfaithful to forget my labor of love. Right. And so, I'm willing to step off the platform. I'm willing to decrease that you might increase. 
I'm willing to have less influence that you might have more influence. And so right now, my journey is about making sure that there is racial equity and equality in America in my generation and for future generations. And I'm willing to not ever be on a platform again. Wow. Means that I can help win this battle because I see this as Goliath. I see, um, I see the church in particular, the uh, Caucasian church, as the Esther who could help save us. Wow. As the African-Americans. That's good. They are in their roles for such a time as this. And I'm not seeing a lot of them that are, but there are some who are, and Great. they are up to it. And I knew that I could not continue to be there knowing that I needed to fight for the rights of all people, not just one people. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I didn't grieve. Mm. Um, I had already been going through the grieving process because I was already seeing things. And the Holy Spirit had, for about five years, been telling me to just keep your heart pure. Okay. Pure. I would see something and just keep your heart pure. The whole um, political thing. Right. The Holy Spirit was like choosing to make one right and the other wrong is divisive. Yeah. And um, he said, it's dividing my body. There's polarization in the congregation. And I can't, I can't bless, I can't command a blessing where there's not unity. And so I'm looking at all of this. I'm like, oh my goodness, Lord, don't they see? Don't the people see? This is not how God would have us to operate as the body of Christ. Um, Jesus, I know I'm probably going, here I go. I'm sorry. It's just, no, I'm so full. Go for it. But Jesus, when he came in the earth, did not choose a political party. Correct. When you look at his disciples, like, okay, are you coming now to establish the kingdom of Israel, which was a natural kingdom? He said, no, I didn't come for that. I came to establish my father's kingdom, which is unseen. And so what is the kingdom of God? The Bible says it's righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, right? Yep. And so I see why Jesus wasn't trying to set up a physical kingdom because the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. So he has never been about establishing a physical kingdom. It's always been about his spiritual kingdom being established so that the world could run from a place of righteousness in its control, mm. you know, politics. And so it's like, what then is the kingdom of God? Look at the life of Jesus. He said he came to establish. What did he do? From a granular level, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He spoke out against injustice. He spoke out against racism. That's right. For all attributes of the kingdom. And so God is not coming back for a democratic church. Right. In church. He's coming back for the bride of Christ without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And I'm telling you, God is dealing with this any such thing during this corona shutting. Yes, he is. And some people are going to miss it, Brandon. Yes. The Lord is like, some are going to come out of this. It's the same way they went in 
into it. And I'm like, not me, Jesus. I don't want to do whatever it is you want to do in me. Strip me of whatever I need to be stripped of because coming out of this, there are going to be some people that are going to be powerful and there are going to be some that are going to be powerless. Yes. And me for the powerful. So I'm willing to go through the, um, you know, uh, people dogging me out for the decision I made, or all of a sudden you don't speak to me anymore because I'm no longer there. Oh, mm -hmm. please. You know, the, that kind of thing. I because understand. It's right toward the Lord. And for those that are really following after Christ, Brandon, they are going to realize that God has caused racism to surface because he wants it dealt with. He's tired of it. And if the church doesn't do her part, we can't blame anything going on in the land on anybody but the church. Yep. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, who are called by my name, would humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive sin, and heal the land. Our land is sick. Yes, it is. The Republicans or the Democrats or anybody in between, it's sick because of the church. Mm. The isms and schisms in the body, the racism within the church walls, the I don't care for this person because they don't look like me, the biases, the in-group biases, those are the things that have our world so splintered and segmented. And we are in trouble with God if we don't get it right as the body. Mm. You preached a whole sermon right there. That is a good <laughs> word. And that's that's so yeah. true. My my yeah. story is a little similar to that too. I grew up in the black, black church. That's all I knew for a majority Same. of my life. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then I was, I was in leadership as well. I grew up and I was in leadership in it. And then I became part for five years of a predominantly white church. And I was in leadership there. And now I'm in a really a multicultural church. And like you said, I've just seen so much. Like you said, the body of Christ, we have flaws in each of it. I've just seen the behind the scenes of three Same. totally different ethnic churches and it's like mm -hmm. wow Lord, we have a lot of work to do just yeah. across the board and yeah. God is really showing that really now it's like okay mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean Martin King said it like Sundays are the most segregated, segregated hour of the week <laughs> it's like yep. Sunday morning and yep. it's just so crazy now I've just really seen like you said I've been saying God please help me to be yeah. able to love those who don't agree with me yeah figure out how to do that in a godly way but like you said never back down from what i know god has put in me to speak out and speak against yeah. and a big thing like you said the guys with the church i really feel is we cling so much to like you said the platform the pulpit that sunday experience but now we're seeing like okay who is god to me on a tuesday morning when i'm struggling Come through. who is right. god to, to my mom on a friday and like when we can't gather on a sunday and get that boost of energy mm -hmm. or excitement mm -hmm. But now mm -hmm. we're really seeing, like you said, people might come out of this like, whew, I haven't gone to church in 10 months and now I don't even know who God is. Or there's gonna be those who come out powerful. Like I had so much intimate face-to-face -face time with God and I've seen so much of his presence in my home, but mm -hmm. it's, we rely heavily on that Sunday experience. And yeah. it's it's just interesting, like you said, COVID and racism all mixing that. Like some churches saying, no, we're gonna meet no matter what. And some are like, no, we're online only. And it's just like, all these things are coming to the surface and it is tied into like you said that us first them and just these different mm -hmm. things that are rising to the surface and god's like 
I want that you said a church that's not Democrat, Republican, or lean this way or that way, like the one that seeks after his heart. So it's it's beautiful to hear how you've navigated through those those rough waters. <laughs> yeah, they, they were rough rough waters. I mean, that's not to say that it was all bad. It wasn't. Oh, no, good. no. Mm-hmm. A lot of good time, and I know you didn't think mm-hmm. that. Um, we had a lot of good times. As a matter of fact, uh, this past Saturday, um, one of the girls and girl, girl, girl and guy that go to the church got married and I had already RSVP'd and I knew I was going to see key leadership there. And I had already said, Lord, if there's anything in me, I release it to you because I want to go and ever be out somewhere and see them. You know, you know how you can see somebody, you know, that thing on the inside. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Put up the blinders and go the other way. That is not me. And so I wanted to be, because I had been there for 15 years. Right. I, you know, I wanted to make sure, Lord, if there's anything you have full permission, I signed the release, cut me wide open and take it out. Um, because I always want to be the best representative of Jesus Christ that I can be because I know that I represent Jesus. That's right. And if I'm not a good representative in representing him, then I've done his character disservice and I don't want to do that. And so I went to the wedding. I saw them. I got half a dozen hugs or more from the same, you know. And... um, It's like, oh, I miss you so much. I said, oh, that is, what a blessing. Love you, you know. (laughs) And genuinely, there was nothing on the inside, nothing funny, nothing. We talked about old times. We laughed. It's like, oh, he's that. I understand, Mm -hmm. you know. But um, I thank God for that because this is the time when we are supposed to be doing that inner work. Yeah. Like the inner work is what's been working out of us the whole time. Yeah. And so if what's been working out of us hasn't produced good fruit, then we need to be doing a whole lot more introspection mm. and reflection and allowing the Holy Spirit to do, to do the work. So, you know, I had a great time. I left feeling very light and happy at a joyful event, but I still was very resolved that yes, as much as I love you, I, I know that I'm, my, my time there is, is done. It's done, right, yep. And, but you said it's so perfect. I've never heard it put like that, what you said earlier, that you know that first off, you represent God and yourself and your African-American family and then, then the church. And this season is really showing me just how much we tie our identity to the church that we go to and that's who we represent. But no, like you said, no church owns you or your talents or your skills. It's God who does. That's right. And he's giving you the calling to do what he's called you to do. And that's mm-hmm. so beautiful that you know that, like you said, the identity of, okay, mm-hmm. no no church has, has this on me, like, oh, I have to be here in order to fill my right. calling. It's like, okay, Lord, right. you created me with these gifts and mm-hmm. talents and skills and leadership, yeah. and I have to fill it through him. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful to hear, like you said, that priority is, okay, mm-hmm. this is who I represent. Yep. This and this and this. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so beautiful. I, I've just seen so much in church leadership, different people who feel, like you said, their identity is wrapped up in the church and what you can do on a Sunday. And, but God has really given you, like you said, a platform influence and a calling, like you said, to fight for him and to fight for racial equity mm-hmm. and equality. I, I love that and it's so clear. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if there's anything I'd like to share, I would like to ask if there are any last encouragements that you have for anybody in general, but also any young black women who I want to aspire to, 
be the next event or just to really see how you got to where you are because you have accomplished so much and gone through so much um but what's some encouragement for younger people is any anybody just to really yeah my my encouragement is to not not lose the meaning of life Mm. god called you to be and that's a human being not a human doing um because sometimes we get caught up in what we do and like you said we, we consider oh this is oh you know well, who are you? Oh, I'm a director of communications. No, that's what you do. Right. You know, and so really identifying who you are. Don't be afraid to spend time alone. Not uh, Being alone doesn't necessarily mean you're lonely. I'm alone quite a bit. But when I'm alone, I'm able to hear what I'm thinking about and to think about what I'm thinking about. And so don't be afraid to spend that quality time do what I call, I, I coined this phrase, self-date. I self-date myself. So I go I like with myself to a nice uh, five-star uh, restaurant and have me a great dinner. And while I'm eating, I'm having conversations in my head and I'm thinking about and I'm, and I'm, I'm observing my surroundings, all of that. That is self-care. That is um, one of the greatest ways that I have been able to develop and still have a sound mind with all of the things that I have gone through. Take that time for myself. Don't be afraid to step out. Mm. Don't be afraid to speak out when you know that within yourself, there's a burning that you need to say, well, that's wrong. Because you've got a lot of people that will not speak out because they want to save face. Right. They want to be popular. Jesus wasn't popular, the savior. So there was something he was to people that gained him popularity. And so that's what we need to be doing. What is it God has called us to be? Because he said, he'll make our name great. Mm. You know, the ministry that we function in is what he will cause other people to see that will attract them to what we what we're doing for him so don't be afraid to spend that time together seeking God learning and knowing what it is he wants you to do and I'll tell you a lot of the things I do now I stumbled into them because I was busy living life but if I had to do all over again I would spend a lot more quality time with myself and know these things but I don't regret my life because now I'm able to pour this in and speak it into others and even to share it on your platform today. Take the time to really discover who you are. God has given us all talents and abilities. Take advantage of them. Um, I I mean, Jesus, I sing, I write, I create jewelry. Um, There's so many things I do, um, but he's given them to me for me to profit with all. So whatever those several several abilities are, start taking advantage of them and see how God won't bless you as a result of it. So, and I encourage you, Brandon, keep doing what you're doing. I love this platform. You. Um, you encourage me to go ahead and move forward because I've got the ring light and everything. I've been planning and sketching nice. out and put, you know, write down what my topics would be. And so, you know, I may as well jump in at some point and get it done, you know? Nice. I encourage people, don't be afraid, especially as African-Americans, please don't be afraid to fight. If we don't fight, the next generation is going to have to fight what we didn't overcome. Mm-hmm. You know, 
statement once that what walks with the fathers runs with the children. Jesus. And so a lot has walked in us and now it's it's running in us. And so we need to defile that what has defiled us, we need to take it down. You know, that uncircumcised Philistine. Right. That Goliath, it's time for him to come down and he knows it. And that's why you have the, the white supremacists that are stepping up and pretending they're a part of the Black Lives Movement starting to rise because they're really trying to deflect the attention away from not the organization Black Lives Matter, but the fact that Black individual lives matter. Um, and I know some people are using that organization as an excuse to advocate responsibility. Yep. I see you. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we've got to take that giant's head off. Yes. And where we're going to be able to do it is we have to be unified and make a decision that, you know what, it's time. It's time, this was the tipping point. And I don't see it slowing down. I see it, you know, five years ago, I told my mom, I said, I see civil unrest and I see civil war in America if we don't get it right. Mm -hmm. And we are today. I, I get goosebumps every time I think about the fact that that came out of my mouth five years ago. Jesus. You know? And so I have been so adamant about it because I could see it coming. Um, but I say to African-American women, Fly, girl, fly. Yes. Soar, girl, soar. Fight for other women the way you would want other women to fight for you. And I'm letting you know that I'm here as your cheerleader. God bless you. Yvette, thank you so much for your time. You have just yeah. inspired me. I know everybody <laughs> listens will be as well. And you just said a few minutes ago too, but what are some things that you have going on that people can support you in, like you said, jewelry or anything else that you have or how people follow you on social media? Because all you say, I know people are going to keep on listening to what you have to say. So how can people follow you and support yeah. you? So I have uh, a jewelry line. You know, I create the bracelets and necklaces and occasionally I'll do earrings. Right now, the bracelets and necklaces. Have and so you can follow me on Facebook, taking, T-A-K-I-N-G, wrists. W-R-I-S-T-S, -S, like your wrist. Um, so taking risks, and the same is on um, Instagram, taking risks. Um, and then if you wanna follow my individual page, it's Yvette Talks, Y-V as in Victor, E-T-T-E-T-A-L-K-S. And I'll follow you back. Excellent, I'll make sure I put all those notes in the description as well. So thank you so much. I have been yeah. inspired and encouraged by this time. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing all your wisdom. Yeah, and if anything needs to be added, because I know I can go because I'm just full, you know. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't get to, I'll just say this, Mr.